I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. Chapter 1. Wayfair welcomes you to the Waberhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the Waberhood, she said, where Wayfair helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trendsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And this week, he traveled through Southeast Asia trading gems and killing tourists. Can a lone diplomat capture him? We'll talk about Netflix's docudrama, The Serpent. Plus, the 1970s shooting of a Wisconsin man should have been an open and shut case, but it led the victim's niece on a decades-long search for the truth. We'll review the podcast, Manslaughter from Wondery. Joining me to get that done is my real-life husband and true crime co-author, former TV journalist, host of the These Are Their Stories podcast about law and order at SVU, and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Kevin, I have a bone to pick with you. I will do it later in the podcast. Uh-oh. All right. Also with Kevin us- Even Toby said, uh-oh. By the way, these two guys have a bone to pick with you, too. It's all of us. Oh, okay. Sure, sure. <laughs> also with us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, certified cat lady, and certified pet detective Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello. And now I am upgraded COVID vaccine clinic head volunteer. That's right. Wow. Head volunteer. Well, I've been granted more access in the computer system. It's very exciting. Is there a patch that goes with that or like a badge? I kind of made my own name tag, but it's all so cool. All right. And finally <laughs> with us. She made her own. Yeah. I mean, it counts. That, did, didn't we watch something where somebody who made their own press pass recently? Yeah, it was in uh, <laughs> Lost Hills. From Lost Hills. Yeah. Listen, yeah. I'm you're wearing the, a... You're the CC of uh, of COVID vaccine. It's like, Malibu Bricker. It's like me wearing this Georgetown sweatshirt. I am I'm not an alumni, but you wouldn't know that if you ran into me on the street, right? Mm. All right. Finally, our captain of woke cynicism. Alumna. Yeah, I thought you took Latin. Finally, our captain of woke cynicism, the author behind the noir novels known as the City Trilogy and host of the Strange Arrivals podcast about UFOs and our Patreon book club host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. Can I tell everybody about the shock that I had this weekend? Yes. I, I For Easter, I visited with uh, some folks in my family and I found out that my eight-year-old nephew, Brendan, listens to this podcast. Shut up. And he even recited to me that he knew where I got my COVID vaccine. He said it was in the poise section of an old Sears. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. So I know he's not fooling. Oh, he's the best. And I'm thinking about all the naughty words oh, man. that I have said. How many times has Bubba heard us say, fuck? 
back. It, it's, a, it's just yeah. about to get worse. It's so get worse many times. Point. Brendan? So, say hi to Brendan. We love you, Brendan. Hi, hi Brendan. Brendan. He's the best. And he's really smart. And he's really fun. Everyone calls him Bubba, which I don't agree with. I, I call him Brendan. But I'll call him Bubba if he wants. Hello. Hello, Bubba. The funny thing is my, my <laughs> dad had this huge coin collection. And we were trying to sort through it all. And, and Brendan was the only one who like knew like which were the valuable coins and stuff like that. And we're like, how do you know all this stuff? And he said, I'm the only one that paid attention. <laughs> and it's good. Because go. we're like, I don't know anything about I gotta about say, this. Bubba's brother, Sean. Yeah. Love him. Bubba's sister, Molly. Love her. If I'm going to rank them, I'm not going to do it publicly. Yeah. Whoa. But I got to say, Bubba's pretty great. I mean, he's, he's listening, so he knows he's the best. Funny kid. But listen, if Sean, you're listening, you're my favorite, too. <laughs> so, Laura, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Um, coming off another day. This is my third day this week. Uh, work in the COVID clinics. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I've been upgraded. Like, Fireman Ken and I have been spending a lot of time together lately. Oh. That's uh-huh. exciting. So, um, yeah, it's like date day all the time. Kevin tells me you have a story. What is it? <laughs> So anyway, today this might be a good time for Brendan to grab a <laughs> grab a drink. Yeah. <laughs> so today, Ken and I worked we, two days in a row. We're coming off the COVID clinics. I said, Ken, I'm not cooking. Um, let's go sit outside at Margaritas. Margaritas for our listeners is a restaurant. They're not sitting outside an actual huge margarita. No, although <laughs> we might have wanted that after what I'm going to tell you. So. We go pick up Will, and he's now able to go outside with his friends after school, and they all go, like, walk on this trail out in the little park, and they have, like, a clubhouse, and they sit out there, and they do, like, whatever they're doing. Um, I don't want to know. Smoking marijuana. Yeah, that's pretty much what I was worrying about. But anyway, (laughs) so today he gets in the car, and I say, hey, Will, how's it going? How was your hangout time in the park today? He goes, well, I said, who are those kids over there? Are they part of your group? He goes, no. Yeah, they were just kind of busy. I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, he was like walking in on the trail and they were like in the middle of the trail having sex. <gasps> oh. <laughs> and I said, Brendan, fast forward I go, 15 seconds. I yep. go, oh. And of course, Ken's going, stop asking questions. So I'm like, so Will, how did you do? <laughs> what did you say? And Ken's what like, did you see? shut the fuck up. Was he any go, good at they, it? Were they naked? I go, were they really having sex, Will? Or were they just like kind of like messy? He goes, no, mom. They were having sex. I said, so what did you do? He goes, well, I just walked around them and let them continue on with their business. Their nice. business. Yeah. Wow. How money was exchanged. Okay. That's good, that's good concentration on those on those kids' yeah. part. Only a kid who watches a lot of unsupervised uh, porn would know what sex looked like, right? <laughs> well, then I said, exactly. And then I said, Ken, I said, oh, my God. And he goes, no, Will's fine. Like, he can just, like, roll with things. I go, Ken. Like, those kids looked like they were, like, 10 years old, and they were having sex. And he's like, it's fine. Mm. I'm like, all right. Here's what you do. Laura, you do what Kevin does. Take everything you're feeling, open the lid of a box, <laughs> put it in that box, the Irish feelings box, and stuff it under the bed, and never open that box again. It's fine. Okay. Brendan, that's a life lesson for you as well. Yeah. But I know that's not what Will is doing with that memory right now. <laughs> no, I don't even want to know. All I know is I ate like an entire skillet of queso after this because I was like, Ugh. oh, fuck. I was like, get me another glass of wine and some queso. I do love the margaritas queso. I'm not going to lie. It is pretty good, especially when it like chills up a little bit. Yes. No the queso do you get the chicken yeah. or the chorizo? Just the plain old cheese. Ah, got it. Got it. Mm-hmm. 
All right. We have a lot to talk about tonight. Um, Let's get to it. Should we get it done? Let's do it. Leading off. I think every man must one day make a home and say to himself, this is my life. This is my love. And this is who I am. But to get there, for a man like you and me, we must take our opportunities when they come. Elaine Gautier was a charming jewel merchant living in 1970s Bangkok with his girlfriend, throwing parties and befriending Western tourists who needed a place to stay. Where shall we leave her? She's seen too much. And you saw she's not afraid to complain. She would only be another reckless Westerner who took drugs and went swimming. Meantime, low-level diplomat Herman Knippenberg is asked to find a Dutch couple who vanished while visiting Thailand. While local police refuse to open a case, Knippenberg investigates the disappearance and soon connects a series of missing tourists to Gautier's social circle. You know, they're not technically your problem. Yes, but the ambassador says it's for the police, but they're on holiday. (laughs) Yeah, I'll bet they are. The Serpent from Netflix and BBC One is a docudrama based on the real-life crime spree of a mysterious man who traveled the continent stealing passports, killing globetrotters, emboldened by a feeling authorities would never catch him. Tahar Rahim and Jenna Coleman star as the ruthless couple, and Billy Howell plays the diplomat consumed by his search for the slippery culprits. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from The Serpent, so if you want to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs-up or thumbs-down review. Lara Bricker, mm-hmm. this film, is it not freaking beautiful to watch? The scenery, the period stuff, the costuming, I don't know, I found myself completely brought in from minute one. What do you think? Absolutely. I mean, we have had a lot of location porn in shows that we've watched, but this particular show, I mean, we have, it's like 1970s, 1980s, but we have Thailand, Kathmandu, Nepal, like all these different settings and they're just beautifully filmed. And then we also have a lot of period costumes, a lot of period lifestyle. There's a lot of shows out there that have different locations, but I don't recall any that have had this particular combination. So we also have Paris. So we have a lot of really beautiful scenery to look at. And I loved the cinematography and the way that that scenery was portrayed. The art direction, right, Kevin? Yeah. You know what What else is uh, location porn? That park Will has been hanging out in. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I agree, Laura, that I think that the scenery was fantastic. For Western audiences, there is something unfamiliar about that part of the world. At that time. At yeah. that time. Well, look, you have the combination of sort of the throwback to the 70s with the costuming and the hairstyles and the no cell phones and the funny cars. And also, you know, for most Western audiences, there's something mysterious and menacing still about these cities and the beaches and the mountains. And I think it just plays really well into the whole series. Now, Toby, I know that um, there are a lot of choices that are made because of the period nature of this. I feel like the slow dissolves from what look like, you know, on location, real film to the scene. What did you think of of sort of those directing choices? Uh, I thought they were really good. That part was clever where they they go from that sort of grainy period footage and then they kind of start off with the current day actors in that grainy and the 
footage and then they kind of uh, clear it up. So it, it seems sort of seamless. They do one of those things that I love from that like 70s era where they like have a sort of long distance shot and then they like pan in really quickly. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, and then the guy like usually makes some like little dramatic move or something. Uh, it's very much like how films of the time were made. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like it's like That's they got the, the guy who directed yeah. Star, Starsky and Hutch or something and they uh the streets and they, of San they Francisco. had him do it. So, yeah, I thought there, there's just the soundtrack I thought was awesome. Mm. Like there was more songs that I actually listened to in college in the soundtrack than most soundtracks we get. So little touches like that were really well done and sort of added to uh, what I thought was like a, a super enjoyable watching experience. Now, Kevin, the film does have a really interesting structure where it's not chronological in any way. Right. There's We're not like here and then it's like a year ago. We're like now and then seven days ago and then it's like three weeks from now which was the seven days ago thing and then three months ago like the time jumps right. are continuous do you think that works because it's not the well, kind of thing that you can like i will say from experience you can't play the property brothers iphone game while watching this thing because the time <laughs> jumps right yeah well look in the beginning it's just going back and forth i think with three months or something like that but they signpost every jump so explicitly and I was never confused about where we were. Even when we start jumping ahead, okay, now it's five weeks and a day later or whatever, I was never lost as to where we were in time. And I also think that like you couldn't really tell the story effectively chronologically because you have other things going on, bringing in the characters, then maybe doing some of their backstory, how they got there. And then also this thing where as some of these timelines overlap, they show us the same film from the earlier scene. So... Again, it just sort of like snaps you, reorients you. Like, yeah, there's oh, yes, that person. That guy, oh, remember seeing him, he carried him in when he was sick. Okay, now we know how he got sick and how right. he's here and all that other stuff. So, yeah, I I, uh, I thought that a lot of series like shit the bed trying to do this. And I think it did it really, really well. Now, I will say Elaine Gautier is actually, his real name was Charles Sobrage. And Monique, uh, his partner slash wife is actually uh, her real name was Marie Andre Leclerc. This was based on a true story. Laura Bricker, did you Wikipedia this like I did? And if you did, was your mind not completely fucking blown by this actual real story? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I looked it up. I was like, okay, uh, obviously this is based on a true story. Like, you know, you need to know what's going on. I mean, there was so much more to the story. It's more bananas. The film was bananas, but the real story was even like more bananas. Isn't that something? Yeah, because I mean, the Wikipedia and the articles I read definitely went more into how his actual wife, Juliet, really stuck by him longer than we really got a sense of in this documentary. Um, film. And then whatever it is, fake film documentary, <laughs> this thing we watched on Netflix. Anyway, I, you know, there was a sense of his criminal background before he went to Bangkok. And there just seemed to be so much going on with this guy. But also, you, you get a sense of his ego and the fact that he is invincible in this show. But the way that 
there was some background laid about out about how he was able to kind of get out of being charged at different times and didn't go to jail and evaded capture. I didn't really sense that as much in the show as I did in reading the background. But I mean, this guy was really all over the place. Yeah, he's terrifying, actually. I think he was portrayed in a way that was terrifying. I think the actor who portrayed him, Dahar Rahim, is probably going to maybe win like an Emmy for this or something. I don't know if it's a film or a TV thing. I don't know how it'll be categorized. But Toby, I found this to be, you know, because I, I had to find out when we were first reading it, I didn't really realize how much of it was based on a true story. So that's when I you know, read articles on Wikipedia. But there's a thing where when you kind of figure out that it's true and you know some of the true story where like all the suspense just like falls away. That didn't happen for me. I thought this was like very suspenseful to watch. What did you think about that, Toby? Yeah, you know, I didn't Wikipedia or anything. So I didn't I didn't have any clue what was going to happen. But yeah, I thought there's some there's some really suspenseful parts to it, particularly when Nadine is playing like secret agent and making some moves that are smart and some moves that I couldn't quite figure out why she was doing. Like when she goes into their apartment and runs into Ajay. Yes. Um, like, what the hell? What are you thinking about? Run, Nadine, run. Um, <laughs> Hi. Nadine. Hi, such well. About you were what? In jail? You don't know Elaine at all, do you? We saw the map that you drew. And I think, you know, Ajay was another guy who's who's like a, a pretty uh, terrifying, pretty creepy character. You totally know yeah. Nadine like listens to true crime podcasts. 100%. I'm going to yeah. go investigate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so it kind of hit like there wasn't anything that seemed like super original about this, but it hit all these things that you look for in these kinds of like thriller suspense series. And it just did all those little parts of it really well. You know, I thought Knippenberg mm. was he, – he's, like, definitely a type, right? Like, he's, like, kind of the nerdy hero, like, the guy who nobody believes in. But it, it seemed fresh in this, you know? It, it, it You know, you, you kind of – you were pulling for him, and you, you did kind of feel his angst when he's making these decisions about his career and ultimately about his wife mm. um, versus – you know, this case that's kind of taken over his life. Right. I mean, he's just a, he's like a um, a diplomat, run-of-the-mill diplomat, you know, like living in a nice place in Thailand where he's been assigned. All of a sudden, he's, you know, part of his job, as we've discussed actually kind of recently on the podcast, they only have one job, which is to like stamp passports and help people who are in trouble, right? Mm -hmm. He finds himself in the middle of a thing where he knows there's something nefarious going on. The film does spend a lot of time with the Knippenbergs, which I found myself wondering, like, why are we spending so much time with these people? And then I think it kind of comes around at the very end. Why? What did you think of that character, Kevin Knippenberg? Uh, I did like him, and I thought he played an important dramatic role. Remember the very the very first thing that uh, they say on the show on the card is that um, you know they change the names of the victims and whatnot, but also all the dialogue is imagined. I love the way that they phrased it. Like they just that. say it, yeah. And I think it's kind of artistically freeing. Hey, we're we're admitting it. We're like playing this to dramatic effect. So I don't know to the extent that uh, Nippenberg can Nippenberg can Nippenberg. I don't know if in real life he faced that much opposition from his ambassador and from the local police 
But in any event, it plays well because it's sort of the me against the world thing. And it creates all this tension because you have to be able to believe that he didn't just like pick up a phone and somebody walked in and arrested a serial killer. There had to be reasons why he needed to do all this legwork. Right. So uh, I I thought that that was a a really smart thing to do. And he's got his real this relationship with Paul, the Belgian diplomat. Yep. Paul's like an interesting sidekick, but all of a sudden he'll just like get like really angry. Don't you get it yet? Nadine said Gautier knew people in the police. A colonel, for Christ's sake. I don't give a shit how many colonels. You stamped your righteous little clubs are dealing with Gautier in my way. And for God only knows what reasons, I rolled over like a milkmaid. And now they're going to let him go. Listen to me, please. please. You don't get a gold star. You get top of the bill as Bangkok's latest clown shit. Will you fucking listen to me? So he was a little unpredictable. And in that sense, it kept that whole relationship and storyline from getting stale too quickly. Mm. I mean, his wife is there and pretty much behind him the whole time, you know, yep. with some kind of... I love the actors who played his wife. And she, like, he couldn't do anything. Yeah, He couldn't her. speak the language. Nope. He couldn't drive. Yeah. He yeah. apparently yeah. couldn't type. Right. Like, he basically... He smoke. Like, yeah, he's good at smoking, and he, and he goes waiting with his clothes on. Um, <laughs> he gets, yeah. he gets wet like, all the time. She was like the Maria Von Trapp of this whole situation, right? Like, she solved every problem. She fixed everything. She made it okay for him. And unlike Maria Von Trapp at the end, she was like, all right, we're not married anymore. But still, you good for you, honey. You solved this. Yeah, a good woman's hard to find, right? <laughs> but I think whatever they did with the ideas of these real people and what they represented, they made the most out of that dramatically to tell that side of the story. Hmm. And the same thing, I think, with uh, Elan and Monique and RJ. It's AJ, but the way they Ajay. said AJ. Yes. AJ. Well, it's Monique. I, I kept thinking they were calling him Archie. We uh, only ever hear Monique say his name and she yeah. pronounces it in her like beautiful French Canadian accent. Yeah. But anyway, I think, and you know, both sides of the cast there, I think that the writers just really kind of went to town kind of imagining something that was sinister, you know, and frustrating to them, making it frustrating for the audience in the right way. Laura Bricker, are you more of a Herman or a Nadine? So Herman, obviously, is sort Ooh. of like one step away, obsessed with the case, can't let it go, rocks into the pond with his clothes on. Nadine knows she's in danger, stays there because she wants, she's taking secret pictures, sneaking into places. Which one are you? Because I know you're one of them, Lara Bricker. Um, I'm kind of a combination because I think I would definitely be taking the chances to go get pictures, but I felt like she was not exercising a lot of common sense at the end and putting herself in very dangerous situations. I am definitely like Herman where I am, you know me, I am obsessed with something like that. If it gets like, I would totally have been like, yeah, I'm not doing my real job. I'm having my assistant go out and get me all the newspapers and I'm clipping things and making a file (laughs) and finding out what the hell is going on here. But the Nadine section for me was like some of the highest suspense in this whole show when she goes back. And I have to tell you that Ajay was like, he scared the shit out of me. Terrifying. Mm. He was like terrifying because like all of them, one of the things, not only him, but like whenever some shit was going to go down and somebody was going to get poisoned. One of the things I found so interesting about this is that the way that they were really building suspense were these looks between the different people. And so there wasn't a lot of action, but you have Monique looking at Elaine, looking at Ajay, and the level of, when you know 
somebody's about to get sick, stuffed in the room, stuffed in the car, dumped in the ocean or whatever is coming. Oh my God, those were like the worst scenes because you knew. Yeah. But they did a very, they were very good and it was very effective in terms of the way that the actors and actresses portrayed those roles in those particular moments. I mean, it really conveyed that sense of like, that was the point where I was like, oh, here we go. But it was definitely a lot of heightened anxiety during those those scenes. Toby, so the scope of these crimes to me, like, it just kept blowing me away. Like, you could imagine, you know, maybe like you want to steal a bunch of passports and steal a bunch of traveler's checks, right? So you could imagine like, I'm not saying I could imagine it, but like in a crime like this, like you poison one tourist and steal their stuff. And maybe another tourist you like, I don't know, push down a ravine and steal their stuff. They would just poison people over and over and over again. All their neighbors saw it happening. Just like the scope and the sort of brazenness of this scheme perpetrated against the same kind of victim over and over again, Westerners coming to Thailand and on their way to Nepal for enlightenment to meet monks, like something that was very kind of like of the moment. They killed a lot of people. I mean, it was really something, right, Toby? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It was something. Uh, That was quite something. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I don't, I I guess they don't don't really go into it very much. I kind of assume that part of it is... It's almost like the Western traveler thing is it's its own like kind of culture within these countries, you know. So I don't I don't know how like law enforcement in these countries what they kind of feel like is their responsibility or what's desirable. And, and, and there's all different kinds of travelers, right? Yeah, I mean, well, there's, there's this poor like these are like the, and rich these ones, are like the right? hippie like backpackers yeah. that he's kind of preying on. It's not like the you know sex tourists or whatever. So. um yeah, I don't, you know, there's a bunch of stuff that I don't think it was a mistake not to explore because I think this is just, I, I felt like this was a pretty lean, well-made thriller. Like if I was going to read a book about it, I think I'd like to have a little more context about those kinds of issues. But in this, I think they were smart in not going down that route. I mean, they just, you know, the most of the stuff with the police was sort of bureaucratic stuff and, you know, being frustrated that they can't get them to move. And that kind of adds to the suspense and sort of the frustration and the identification you feel. No, I agree. And I think it's interesting to sort of have two kinds of marks, right? And we see them in the film kind of again and again. You sort of have the mark that's like a privileged white person traveling, you know, in Asia who's like, you know, has a lot of traveler's checks and they just see them as like a mark. Steal your passport, steal your money, poison you immediately. Then they have the other kind of victim who's like lost, doesn't have any money left, and is like, I have an idea. How about you put some gems in your butt and go on this plane and take them where (laughs) I want you to be? Like, it's just a very interesting set of marks, but it all sort of originates from sort of like this white, like privileged enough to be even able to go there kind of place. I don't know. I found that like really added to the sense of dread because – Charles, a.k.a. Elaine, like knew the mark and we see him over and over again, just like see the mark in the room and you're like, oh, that person's going to fucking die. Right. Like immediately. The one thing I was thinking about, too, was like this is about the same time that like Ted Bundy was going around. Right. I mean, roughly. Mm -hmm. And the idea that you couldn't figure out that he was in Florida Mm. for something that was for like a murder he did in, in Colorado and the idea that you would be able to in Thailand like do any kind of investigation to find out what happened to like your relative who was traveling and disappeared. 
Uh, you know, it's not like today. I mean, it's just the the communication. I mean, it must have. I'm sure for him, it was just like there's no freaking way anybody's ever going to be able to figure it out. It's just going to be too hard. Mm. Now, Kevin, before we give our reviews, I just want to ask you to comment on some of the performances in this. All right. I think uh, Tahar Rahim is wonderful. Uh, but I also really want to give a shout out to Jenna Coleman, who plays Monique, a.k.a. her real name, Marie-Andre Leclerc. Uh, we were engaged before. I broke it off. There was nobody else who wanted to go on holiday with me. And nobody wanted to do anything with me. All you needed to do was... Ask. What did you think of her performance? I found it like she's a beautiful woman, obviously, and her sort of her role is to sort of be like it could have been very shallow, right? Mm-hmm. But it wasn't. I at least to me. What did you think of her performance in this? I did like her performance. Um, I like that the character like kept going back and forth between like her misgivings about Alon or Charles, whatever you want to call him, and then like being complicit again, seeing you know seemingly willingly, and then. Like, she's doing it for her man, and now she's doing it for herself. And she's afraid some of the time. And she's afraid, and, uh, yeah, you know, I like that. Again, it it, it seemed not one-dimensional. Uh, and, you know, I don't know. I think I think that her uh, Canadian accent was good. Because <laughs> a lot of times people, like, actors are like, oh, uh, they're French from Canada, so we're going to talk like we're from Paris. Yeah. It's like, no, I mean, we know. like We, we live in New Hampshire. Yeah, we- it's a it's a much... We know a Montreal accent. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, when you're talking to the French, (laughs) uh, when you know you say, "Hey, I'm Clem. I am your shit rocker." (laughs) Uh, It's not like I have been to Paris. Uh, I have been down. Listen, you're you're talking about my people right now, in-laws. In-laws. Oh, not my actual people. My in-law people. (laughs) Yeah, just not like when they talk like this. You know, it's Lavoie Lavoie is not a Parisian French name. It's a French Canadian name. I've got lots of people who are from the west side of Manchester who talk exactly the way Monique talks. That's right. They're going to get in my Subaru <laughs> and go up Route 3 and then uh, we get to the top, some of our favorite, we get to the top of the mountain halfway down. Kevin, some of our favorite listeners Absolutely. are from Quebec. So they know. We're not shitting on you. They know. So Jenna Coleman, good job. We love you. All right. Let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know. Should they check out The Serpent on Netflix? It's an eight-part series about a very scary and really wild story about a guy who killed a lot of people and how he did it over a long period of time in exotic places. And then imagine he's still alive, which is incredible to me. All right, Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for The Serpent on Netflix? Uh, I'm going to go thumbs up. I thought that the story was obviously I didn't know about this case, so that was that was a bonus. The scenery, the setting, the time period, all of this was great. My only sort of uh, negative about this is I feel like it went on about two and a half episodes too long. Mm. So it got up through episode six. They've identified who the killer is. Everything is closing in. And then we have like three episodes over however many years where I felt like we sort of lost this like tension and suspense that had been building to that point. So for me, I would have been like totally cool if it ended at that episode and they did the like thing they did at the end of this where they tell where everybody is and how they caught people. Um, But overall, I mean, it's terrifying. Um, you know, in hindsight, I'm like, oh my gosh, do I know anybody that traveled during that time period? How terrifying is this? But overall, I mean, it was just a really interesting story and the cinematography was beautiful. The wigs take a little getting used to, but (laughs) (laughs) just going to say you'll get there. So I'd give it a watch. I mean, it was, it was interesting. 
Note on that, Laura, wasn't it great after watching, like, obviously our lead character wearing a wig the whole time, actually watching him putting on a wig like near the end? I found that very funny myself. Yes. Toby Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for The Serpent on Netflix? I totally did not notice the wig stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree with Laura in that the best parts of this are when they're in Bangkok and then doing the little excursions, especially to Nepal. And so whether they restructured it slightly so that they did some of the, uh, you know, the flash aheads to later, but kept like the, the whole narrative arc basically in Bangkok from beginning to end. But with that Beyond that, I just thought this was just a really well-crafted thriller. You know, I don't think it really breaks any ground on anything. But if you want to watch something that's just, like, well-acted, well-made, well-written, you know, I think this is just, like, a high-quality piece of work, which all adds up to a hearty thumbs-up. Kevin Flynn. Yeah, I'm thumbs up as well. I thought that the production values on this were great. I loved the costuming. I think everybody looked like they just fell out of a production of Godspell. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm not saying this as a joke. At the end of episode five, I thought I could taste tobacco in my mouth. Hmm. They were all smoking <laughs> so much. It's like, mm, what? Is that just Anyway, uh I, I thought the performance that was, was, was great. because of the drink that I gave you that night. You know, oh, was it the, the powder yeah. and the oh pectate. Hey, let's be spoiler Ka- free, oh, folks. Can we just talk about like the French Canadian pronunciation of pectate? Okay, uh, so sexy, right? <laughs> now I want to take some. <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought it was really good. I thought the performances were excellent, and it was just told really well. I think they sort of embraced like this is the spine of these crimes, the spine of the story. And what can we do with some excellent writing, good performances to tell this story in a way that is true to what happened, but yet dramatically satisfying if we take a little of a dramatic license with this or that? It does lose some of the urgency after episode six. However, it doesn't ruin the experience. So, again, thumbs up. Yeah, big thumbs up for me. I will tell you, I think a lot of your guys' issues with the pacing and the length has to do with the fact that this was a bingeable series. I think if this came out eight weeks in a row, I don't think we would be saying, oh, it's really, really tense, but then right after episode six, it's sort of a denouement, because that's actually how stories go. But when you can watch something all at once and it's this long, it's much easier, I think, to talk about like when it's fast and when it's slow. You know what I mean? It might have been weekly on the BBC. I don't know. Premiered, I love the series. I think right. it's brilliant. I think the performances are great. It's a story I didn't know anything about and what's amazing about it is as unrealistic and bananas as it is the real story is way fucking crazier which makes it watching this even better because i'm like oh they just picked these parts but there are so (laughs) many other parts they could have picked i don't know i love the serpent huge thumbs up for me please watch the serpent on netflix and then dm me about it on twitter do you ever meet someone who seems kind of off whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you truth finder has you covered you can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. 
On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone, in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Chapter 1. Wayfair welcomes you to the Waberhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the Waverhood, she said, where Wafer helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trinsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home. All right, Kevin, here we are in the business section. (laughs) Kevin, what do we have going on on our Patreon right now that our listeners might want to check out? And if you haven't supported us on our Patreon, just head on over to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Join up, do that. Kevin, what's there? In the feed right now is the latest Crime Writers on After Show. <gasps> what are we talking about, Kevin? Well, we haven't talked about it yet. It's the After Show. I know what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how we feel about being mean. We're also going to talk about how we feel about you when you make us listen to something that makes us mad at you. Oh, that's also mean. <laughs> no, seriously, we're going to talk about sort of the nature of criticism and how it puts us in a weird spot, especially perhaps this week. So, Kevin, what else is on our Patreon? We've got a new episode of Married with Podcasts that so came out. It's called Intruder Alert because it's, it's so all kinds of intruders. You've got moms who will not respect uh, your privacy and just drop in. You've got friends who are spotting their friends' husbands on dating apps. Dating apps, And we have a literal intruder. Yes. We had a listener wake up in the middle of the night with an intruder in her room. That's right. And wanting to know how to deal with it with her uh, children, her it's, child. It's me. really, I got to say, this episode of Mary with Podcast, I did not have an opportunity to see any of the questions in advance. I've been very busy the last couple of weeks. A couple of the questions you asked me and I was like, the fuck? It's really good. It's a really good episode. Also, we get an update from the woman whose uh, wife was being stalked by the woman who liked Sasquatch memorabilia. (laughs) Nice. Sasquatch stalker is back. Yeah. Yeah. Also, right now, I want to encourage you, uh, if you haven't already, to sign up for the Crime Writers On newsletter. It's great. It's free. You just go to our website, crimewriterson.com. It's free. Every Monday, you'll get an email that has a lot of great stuff in it, including some CWO, BTS. That stands for behind the scenes. Everybody. Oh, I thought it sounded for the, the K-pop BTS situation. No. What? No. Oh, Rebecca. You can't steal BTS from BTS. BTS means behind the scenes. Does it? It does. <laughs> uh, you'll find out ahead of time what we're listening to in the f- or going to be talking about in the upcoming episode. Plus, you also get to see our cat of the week. We have mm-hmm. photos there of everybody's pet that Lara picks. So a lot of other neat stuff, too. So just go to CrimeWritersOn.com, drop in your email address, and we promise we'll only sell them to aluminum siding sales. Nice, nice. So, Kevin, we just mentioned one other thing in the business section? Yeah. Thank you, Carol Baskin, for writing an email about the joke I made about you a couple weeks ago. I really appreciated it. One of my favorite listeners, Carol Baskin. Yes, that Carol Baskin continues to be just just a gem in every way. So, Kevin, aside from Carol Baskin, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Mary Kristen and Robin Ross. Bless Bless you. You. Toby, can you just throw a bless you out to our Patreon patron saints? Bless you. (laughs) And thus ends the business section. The business section.
Moving on. The light burning in the den snaps off. A shadow passes the windows, heading up the stairwell. You can see more than one person upstairs. Then there's movement in the master bedroom. Voices. Laverne Stordock was a beloved lawman in a small Wisconsin town. In 1970, he was shot to death in his bedroom. When his wife Suzanne admitted to pulling the trigger, it seemed like justice would be swiftly served. The key reason they reduced the charge against a self-confessed killer from first-degree murder to manslaughter and then cut her a deal. That factor alone makes it quite difficult for the state to argue that the defendant was not suffering from mental disease at the time of the shooting. The murder haunted Laverne, also known as Vernie's niece, Dorothy Marsick. An academic-turned-amateur investigator, Dorothy, decades later looked into the old case to see if Suzanne really did it and whether others also died by her hand. You know, I went there wanting to know who murdered my uncle. My cousin Shannon and I had been trying to figure this out for years because there'd been rumors that David had been the shooter. And on that first visit, my only goal was to find out who shot Vernie. In the Wondery podcast, Manslaughter, I'm saying it because that's how it's spelled, host (laughs) Molly Peterson in tandem with Dorothy goes back to the crime and its lasting effect on the lives of those touched by the case. This series is heavy on actor performances, moody music, and Dorothy switching between interview guest and scripted narrator. Now, we are going to be talking about plot points for manslaughter, so to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. Now, Kevin, I'm going to break format for a second and just say something I have never before said on the show. Okay. We know, fine listener, that this podcast is about real people and that it was made by real people. And I happen to have read all of the notes written by my co-host. I know my own feelings. And I just want to say in advance, we are talking about the podcast, not the people portrayed in or talked about in the podcast, nor the people who made the podcast as people. We are talking about the podcast. And yes, that is a precursor to me saying this might sound mean, but we don't mean it to be. <laughs> OK, <laughs> so now let's talk about this podcast. Um, So let's all just, the stupid, dumb people. Let's just talk about it. So, right. Toby Ball, let's just start with like one thing. I mean, I think it's fair to say this podcast has a lot of things that we have talked about in our criticism of other shows. It perhaps has all of the things we've talked about in our criticism of other shows. But one of the things that really struck me in episode one was the graphic description of the crime scene after Vern was shot. There seems to be this protracted description of blood, brains, tissue everywhere. Much of his head was gone, blown off. Blood, brains, and tissue were everywhere, splattered across the walls and floor, staining the purple bedspread, stuck to the floral wallpaper. How did you feel when you heard that? Did you feel like you were being set up for something great or something not great? You know, I've almost even forgotten about it just because so much other stuff happened between when I heard that and now that we're talking. But it was a little bit... I, I don't know. I was driving somewhere. And I was like, man, they're really like spending a lot of time talking about brains. And, you know, <laughs> extra, I think, is the word viscera. you're looking for. It was yeah. extra. I, You know, maybe that boded ill at the moment. I don't think I, I necessarily knew exactly what was about to unfold <laughs> before my ears. But uh, it wasn't promising. Kevin, your thoughts? Oh, I was like, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> 
you know, people are going to listen to this, right? Uh, like right from jump, I thought, uh oh, this is going to be a problem. We had like in the first two minutes reenactments and and sound effects and writing that was over the top, and then a double narrator come in, and I was like, oh my god, what did I get us into? Mm. Um, we'll talk about that in the after show. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that in the after show. That, that was a similar thought that I had. Yeah, but it was, what did Kevin get us into? <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, there are bigger things we could talk about here. But I mean, the sound effects, uh, like it's a Wondery podcast. Wondery has a certain style. I think this was sort of a lot of that style turned up to 11. Do you know what it was? What? It was like, you know how with a lot of Wondery podcasts, there's like some things that were like, well, this was good and this was good and this is mm-hmm. but these other things were bad. It was like all of the bad things were the whole thing. Like that's like how mm-hmm. it struck me. It was to me, it felt like someone had listened to our show. And was like, well, I'll show them. I'll do all of the things. <laughs> it did. It was like an elaborate troll <laughs> based on our previous or episodes. Or like somebody had entered it into like a computer. An AI, and real, right? Yes, like you said, Rebecca. And like real people didn't actually make it. Yeah. And it just spit it out because it was, I mean, you said it's all the things we say not to do, but it was like magnified. Like, yeah. we're, I, I just have to, I'm sorry. It's like bothering me where did they get these actors yes they're like so and so was a lady of the town (laughs) and i'm like what the (laughs) fuck is this like that one scene donna briggs daughter of mr and mrs laverne stordoff was honored recently at a dinner party at her home miss briggs is spending two weeks in new york with the wallace family before she and Wendy sailed for England. They were talking. I'm like, is this real? And then she came here. I'm like, what is this? What the fuck is this? But Laura, one of my favorite things about the use of actors in this podcast is that they use actors so glibly but then sometimes they use actors, but then make them sound like real people and then put phone tape sound effects on Why them? filter it to sound like it's on a phone? Who is yeah. who? And they don't Why? tell you. Yeah. And then every once in a while, they're like, so-and-so is going to be played by an actor. I'm like, like everyone else wasn't played by a freaking actor? <laughs> But it's why? like every once in a while they feel like they do have to say it. They're like, this guy's super old, so we got an actor to say the stuff because you won't understand <laughs> what he's, he's saying. He's senile now or something. But here's the whole thing. So this is like, okay, we're just going to be a free-for-all. Let's just do it. Right. So this whole thing. Forget all that stuff Rebecca said earlier. Listen, we have notes. Fuck the notes. There's this whole thing about... We're going to protect this person's name for reasons of privacy. By the way, for no fucking reason, because you could Google it and find it out in two seconds. And then we're going to have them played by an actor saying what they said on this thing that's written down. But then we've told you they're going to be played by an actor, but we're going to add a sound effect to sound like we talked to them on the phone. (laughs) See, the problem, this in all seriousness is... One of the fatal sins. The use of actors sometimes is necessary, especially when you're talking about a case where there's no audio tape or video from the time. It's all documents. Okay, so I understand the desire to use that, but they also use it so much, and they also use actors filtered like they're on the telephone, and they also use real people on the telephone. And when you start to hear a different voice, 
it really, like, you didn't know whether you were listening to an actor right. or a real person at first, and you didn't know how to evaluate what they're saying. Yeah, because this is one moment, and I said to you, in a conversation I will talk about in the after show that I had with you about our marriage and you making me listen to this podcast. <laughs> um, I said, oh, my favorite character in this whole thing was one of Vern's daughters who they have a very brief piece of phone tape with where she's like, you mean how do I feel about the woman who stole my fucking inheritance? Where I'm like, oh, I love that woman. She should have been in it more. And Kevin was like, how do you know that was actually her? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. And then even the lady that's the niece who's allegedly like the co-host. Who cares so much, right? I think, but I'm not totally sure, is basically reading excerpts from her book that yes. she wrote in like 1970. Yes. Maybe. But then every once in a while... She's talking from a script, but I'm not really sure when. But the book thing, I was like, so they're just reading long excerpts from the book. And then I think they're also taking long excerpts from the book with the actors. Yes. But there's there's at least one moment where she's clearly responding to a question. Yes. And she's talking naturally. And it's like, oh, shit. Like, they, just the do whole that. thing could have been like this. Just do that. Just interview Like, if the her. whole thing had been like that. I mean, it's not... The fact that she like did this investigation and stuff, I mean, that's probably something interesting there. Quite honestly, I was so distracted by everything else, like all the stuff that we've just been talking about, that I found it almost impossible to follow what I was supposed to be following in the story, because I was just like, wait, who is this? So, Toby, let's talk about like the ways that they use her. One of the ways that they use Dorothy, which is astonishing to me, is they recreate scenes based on her memory of what happened. So there's this whole scene, and one of them that sticks out to me is Vern and Suzanne fighting over where his keys are. And this is what we hear. And I remember she ignored him. I said, where are the keys? Silence. Sue, I'm asking you a question. You can go lick yourself for all I care. Now, keep in mind, Toby, this is based on our co-narrator's memory of what happened. So there's like eight layers of weirdness there, right? Yeah. Then there's another one, I, if memory serves, where they're at a bar. Yeah. And he wants her to go home. And she's like, uh, based on, you know, uh, accounts at the time, it might have gone something like this. And then essentially the conversation is... It's time. We got to go. I don't want to go. And then they move on to the next thing. Based on the police reports, this is how it might have gone down. I don't care what you think, Sue. I'm seeing my daughter tomorrow. Is there something I should know? There's just so many strange, strange choices that when I was thinking about, like, you know, what was the thought process behind doing this this way? Right. And I was just, I, I couldn't f- figure it out. And then I'd be thinking about that for like three or four minutes and would have no clue. And then when I'd kind of like come back to what was going on in the story, it would just be some actor talking about something and I would be lost. It's your cousin, Dorothy. Yeah. Toby, like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. Dorothy. <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to, before we get to the oh, most, right. before we get to God. the most problematic thing that I think happens in the show, which I think we all agree is. Um, Kevin, I want to talk about the second most problematic thing, mm-hmm. which when I listened to it, I was like, oh, this is definitely going to be the most problematic thing. I was wrong. Um, was this weird couching around domestic violence, right? Mm-hmm. So 
We have this, um, it's really debatable what the internal machinations of this relationship were between Vern and Suzanne. I think it's extremely debatable, right? Because we hear a lot of things about Vern, which sort of signal that he's this like very narcissistic, charismatic, big guy. Then we hear about this troubled relationship. And then there's all this speculation about maybe Suzanne was the abuser. And then you have all these experts saying like, well, occasionally the woman can be abuser, but we always want to believe the woman. I just found the whole like so many times they make the choice to just portray not just Suzanne, but like the whole like vixen trope, the abusive vixen trope without any supporting evidence other than Dorothy's feelings about it and the embittered kids like feelings about it. Did you find that as problematic as I did, the way they sort of just even addressed the, the that issue? The third-hand investigation, sort of, Yeah. what do you think about my recollections? What of do you the, think about yeah. my recollections about how my aunt treated my uncle? Yeah, I mean, I think, I know the thing you're going to talk about next. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> you do? There was There was some, like, value to some of that, and, you know, is it possible that this is one of those cases where the wife is the aggressor? Well, I mean, what evidence do you have? Well, he, she did shoot him, uh, you know, so... Did she? Or did she, right? That Dorothy says she didn't, and yet we're still investigating Right. What well, the look actual at, fuck? Look, at, I, I do think it's important to tell the stories of women and trauma, but to quote our friend Dr. Marcia Chatlin, this is an imperfect vehicle for that. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Laura, we do hear, like, at the end of episode one, right? Dorothy says she doesn't think Suzanne did it, right? And then we spend four more episodes dissecting that Suzanne probably did it by, like, characterizing her her love of life insurance money. I mean, the whole thing is, like, false advertising because if you go online and you read the description of this podcast and what it promises to deliver, how a single bullet disrupted many lives with in-depth psychological analysis from the online course that I signed up for and got certified <laughs> as. I mean, it's like nonsense. It's just nonsense. Um, I don't even know where I was going with that, except, yes, she does see just like the Doesn't podcast. Matter. Just like the podcast. But yes. <laughs> I'm just going to give our listeners like a little bit of a transparent moment here. So we um, were taping this podcast today. Today is Thursday, right? So this yeah. last episode, the first episode kind of came out yesterday, right. right? So we all like listened to this and we all were sort of slacking about it. And I, I didn't know. I mean, this is a longish podcast. So I was like, listen, uh, you know, listen to as much as you can. We'll get it done. So yesterday I happened to catch up on the whole series on my walk. So I listened to episode four, which was the very fucking boring insurance episode, which just talked about insurance policies for no reason for like a very long time. Mm-hmm. And then because my walk was long, I saw there was a new episode five and I started listening and I texted you all of you immediately. And I was like, listen, even if you've only listened to episode three. Listen to episode five. We have a lot to talk about. So let's just talk about what happens there because Laura just indicated that it was troubling to her. We have our co-narrator slash author of the possibly self-published book, who is apparently like a real academic with a real career, giving her uncle's wife, who she said didn't kill her uncle, but somehow Might implicates, have, but yeah, okay. a third-party psychopath evaluation on tape even after the podcast specifically says to not do this this way then they do it anyway the first criteria is glibness superficial charm 
When you first meet Suzanne, or even if you've known her for a while, she can be disarmingly charming and full of witty retorts, saying exactly what she knows you want to hear. Egocentric, grandiose sense of self-worth. I found a lot of um, evidence for this in mm-hmm. the in the interviews that I did with people. I mean, in an interview she did with me, because she'd talk about going to court and wearing a mink coat and how wonderful she looked in it. Pathological Um, Toby, what were your thoughts about that? I I, I couldn't believe that nobody told him that they shouldn't, listening to a draft of it in the editing process, were like, I don't don't think you guys want to do this. Hmm. Even if you're going to make that jump and be like, hey, we're going to do this. It was like, here's one thing. Oh, I can think of one example that fits that piece of a psychopath. Like, they lie a lot. Oh, yeah, well, she lied about this one thing. So that means that's a two, a two (laughs) on a scale of two. And they're narcissistic. Well, she thought she was very good looking. So that's another two. Um, And it's just like, are are you serious? Like, are we supposed to take this seriously? And this is the point at which I went from being like, I don't know how I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to feel really kind of shitty because I feel like, you know, it's probably with good intentions that this was made and it just happened to make a lot of bad decisions. That just seems so, especially, you know, for somebody who's an academic, who's an academia, like how can you be an academic and not understand that doing that is totally off? Like that's just, that's just not, it's not happening. So that's a long way of saying I was like kind of horrified and it changed me from just feeling kind of bad about the whole thing to being like, this is, you know, beyond just like mistakes. It's mm. just the the whole sort of conception is wrong. How did it change you, Laura? Um, I was walking while I was listening to it and I was like, you fucking kidding me right now? So we're going through the, and I went to this course and there's 22 points, but I can't tell you what they are. And I'm like, <laughs> and oh I'm my an God, expert in is- organizational psychology, which is literally like you come to your office and say, hey, you're a fast thinker and I'm a slow thinker. Maybe you shouldn't work together on a project. Yeah. And yeah. then they were like, oh, but then we have this guy and no disrespect to this guy, but like, oh, and he works in a jail in Vermont and he's seen some psychopaths. I'm like, mm. He is not somebody that is qualified to diagnose psychopaths. He's like, oh, I think she's a psychopath. And I'm like, this is like me getting my freaking printable cat detective license. I mean, like, and I'm more legit than these people. I'm just saying. Or like, Rebecca, didn't you get a minister license online to do a wedding? That's what this is. Jesus Christ, Laura, it wasn't a minister license online. I actually became a freaking justice of the peace, for God's sake, in oh. my state. I was certified. No, my- well, I was too. But no, there's the people. Like, I had a friend who went to Colorado to do a wedding, and she had to get, like, the online minister license. The person like, who married us did that. I'm like, yeah. that's what this nonsense is. But, no. like, what the yeah. fuck? Well, so, Kevin, so there were two things about that episode that really struck me, aside from the irresponsibility of administering a third party based on recollections through the lens of somebody who already believes she's evil, fake psychopath test on tape with sound effects. <laughs> that was like the only part of it. The other part, Kevin, was that, first of all, they say in the podcast, you shouldn't do this. And then they do. But nice. the second half of the episode is about how Suzanne, after this incident, 
had this whole very fucking interesting life. She got her law degree. She got accepted to the bar by like talking about this. She, she ran became, for office. She became a really respected professor that was like her students voted to be like the greatest teacher they ever had. She was she had this very interesting, rich life, a real relationship with her husband that, you know, was her last the husband. Keeper. The keeper. The keeper. Yes. The keeper. <laughs> like, so they spent half of the episode making the case that she's a psychopath. And in the second half of the episode, like, no, she fucking isn't. Like, she runs a law practice, like, helping women get out of shitty marriages. Like, yeah, I'm confused. I mean, what did you just think of just, I mean, the conceit and the construction of it? Kevin, we talked about- confused. Yeah, why? <laughs> I The whole thing became confusing. <laughs> End of review. Became? It was confusing from the start, Kevin. <laughs> why, use, why use a lot of words when that will sum it up? That's it. Just end of story. I was confused about everything. I think I was in a fugue state at that point. I don't even remember the stuff about the lawyer. Yeah, she became a lawyer, like a, a successful lawyer. Yeah. And she ran for office. She didn't win, but she was like a Democrat and her points were really good. And she was like, should I do this? I'm afraid my past will come out. And her kid was like, listen, your past comes out. It comes out. It's part of your story. Look at all you've accomplished. Whatever. Like, what Wait, do we think that was a real radio ad that they played? Uh, no, it was totally fucking recreated. District 44A needs the balanced leadership and understanding that a candidate like Sue Brandon offers. Paid for by Brandon Volunteers Committee, Paul Slayton, Treasurer. Do you think a psychopath would even care to ask whether or not this might come up? If they, I mean, we're watching this thing with Matt Gates right now. Do you think an actual psychopath would give a shit if her daughter was worried about whether or not the past would be resurfaced? Mm, no. I don't know. I give her a one there. A one. <laughs> Not a two. I'm going to say a point eight five. <laughs> Look, if you think we're mean on this podcast, it's nothing like the one-star reviews it's getting oh, on Apple. for fuck's sakes, read but, them. But, but at least we're trying to, like, say why. Yeah. And I'm going to point to one thing. Last week, we talked about the apology line, also from Wondery. Yes. And we all really liked it. And the one knock that we did have on it was that we said that Marissa's story sounded too scripted. It didn't sound like... She was telling her own story. The story itself was really fascinating, and it had a lot of great sound elements to support it and other interviews. This could have been kind of like that, although they don't have the same amount of tape, right? They don't have any tape, really. Zero. Uh, zero tape. But what it shares in common is sort of this sense that somebody came in or multiple people came in. I don't know. There's like 20 people listed. So in the many people in the credits. So many people. That tried to polish and pull the way that this was going to sound, that it just sounds like a mess. It's a failure of concept, right? I mean, I think like um, Dorothy, like the Wizard of Oz, like she- <laughs> Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Dorothy, if you're listening to this, I'm so sorry. I don't think this is your fault. I yeah. don't. Yeah. Like, <laughs> she seems like she, a very nice person. Right, right. She's the person at the center and she's neither used as the sympathetic witness, guest, commentator- nor as, like, let's follow this amateur sleuth. It's kind of back and forth with both, and I just feel like I I'm just envisioning the listening session where there were 15 or 20 people from corporate they didn't who are listening to this, and everybody threw in a note, and everything got done, and there's just blood on everybody's hands. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, by the way, is anybody else confused about the fact that Dorothy and the person she thinks killed her beloved uncle, like, had a romantic email relationship? Anyone else feel think that was weird? And aren't they related? Yeah. Or well, I no, no, they're not related because oh. he's related to 
Suzanne and she's related to Vern. So they're right. not related. But I will say the fact that, I mean, I, I wish I, they'd pointed that out. I don't mind that Dorothy disclosed that the email relationship got weird, but she never clears up. Listen, I didn't feel that way. That's just where it went. And it was weird. Like, she, it was like, the I pod- didn't want to go to Disney World with the him. The podcast just left it. They had a weird romantic relationship. But then we also heard her on tape saying she thought he killed this person. Anyway, um, <laughs> we, we are where we are. It's just, let's, it's just lost. Let's it's do lost. <laughs> Let's just do what we do um, very optimistically for the listeners who fast forwarded to this part to hear us give our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. Laura Bricker, thumbs up or thumbs down. Do you think our listeners should check out the new podcast, Manslaughter from Wondery? Oh, absolutely. No. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. You know what? The positive that I will say for this is that when I realized how horrendous this podcast was, I said, I need to just, it's like doing something that you hate to do and you need to get done with. So actually, I did this huge, like, three and a half mile walk one morning because I was like, I got to just finish this fucking horrendous podcast because we have to talk about it this week. That's the only positive that came from this. And I did see some red winged blackbirds on my walk. This podcast, I mean, it's just, if you are in college and you are trying to learn how to put a podcast together... You should listen to this podcast to see how not to put a podcast together. And I'm really sorry because – but there's a lot of things they do here that are pretty obvious when you step back. Use of voice reenactors, use of scripting for talking that doesn't sound natural. Uh, there's just a lot going on, a lot of uh, unnecessary sound effects. Uh, meow, boom, whatever else was going on. <laughs> I made a phone call. Yeah. So no, 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 no. Save yourself some time. There's plenty of other podcasts to listen to unless you need to listen to this for a class to learn how not to make a podcast. Is that a thumbs down, Laura? Yes. (laughs) Toby Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for manslaughter? I I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to talk about this uh, in like trying to find sort of specific things to be critical of rather than just sort of this global, like, I don't think it worked in any way, but it was, it was hard, man. It just seemed like it wasn't, they needed more thought put into it. They needed somebody to tell them no. In the end, maybe the problem was that they have what seemed like a good story, but it really didn't have the stuff they needed to put it together to be a podcast. So in trying to kind of wedge it in there and doing all these recreations and then like, I don't even know. I I start talking like that and then I can think of like four reasons why that is like giving too much credit for it. Mm -hmm. And that in fact, there were things that they could have done differently. They had audio for it. Anyway, I could just babble for like half an hour about how confusing this whole thing is. It still would be more entertaining. uh, (laughs) But it's it's, it's a thumbs down, and I apologize to the people who made it for being this negative, but uh, I just... They need to apologize to us. I'm still... My mind is a little boggled. Kevin Flynn. Hot fucking mess, thumbs down. I just think they took a book which was not podcast adaptable. For the story reasons, for the way it goes, for the elements that they were going to need, and then they took so they took chicken shit, and then they tried to make chicken salad out of it, oh. and it was just it didn't work on any level, and I just felt like this was really bad. It, it's it's a real hot fucking mess, and. <laughs> 
everybody associated with it should try to go back and do better next time because I'm looking forward to whatever you're going to put out. Listen, I'm going to say um, everyone associated with it has probably done other things that have been good. Yeah. This is not a thing that I would brag about. This is easily... I don't want to say this is the worst podcast we've ever reviewed. No. But it's up there. It's it's up there. Okay. We'll remember this. So let me just put it this way. There have been podcasts where like they came even at the beginning of like wondery stuff there was stuff we didn't like right it was just real bad for whatever reason or they'd be sort of like there were things we didn't like that came from creators that tried or whatever this i think is so much more bad because it comes from a production house that's doing things that are good and they should fucking know better than to put this in the world this is so like, even if it came from someone who had never made a podcast before, I'd be like, okay, this is real bad, guys. Here's what you need to do. This is a, more of a crime because it should be better. I actually, the source material is just not great and probably not adaptable. I don't think a person's recollection of what they think happened is good or interesting unless there's more to back it up. I just had a horrible thought. What's that? We're like, they took this and they made it awful. What if it was awful and this was the best they could make? It could make be. It? it could be. Oh, my God. That's let me, worse. Let me just – I'm just going to say that's something. That's horrifying. I am right now working as a story consultant on a podcast, and when I heard there was a story consultant in the credits of this podcast, I was like, this is my worst fucking nightmare. The thing that I am, like, consulting with right now turns into this. This is bad. It's just bad. Irresponsible. It's not just bad. It's also, like, irresponsible. And there's so many things – We'll talk about it more in the after show. Huge thumbs down for me for uh, Manslaughter from Wondery. And if you hate us, you can give us a one-star review. Yeah, that won't be as bad as the one-star reviews for <laughs> Manslaughter. <laughs> uh, you can give it a shot, though. Do you ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Chapter 1. Wayfair welcomes you to the Waberhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the Waverhood, she said, where Wafer helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trendsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime Crime of of the week. It was an international crisis when the cargo tanker Ever Given got wedged in the Suez Canal last month, halting oceanic shipping for nearly a week. After the hard work of dredgers, tugboats, and the rising seas, the ship was finally freed and continued on to Rotterdam. Now there's a major fallout from the incident. People have begun writing... 
Suez Canal, erotic fan fiction. <laughs> a dedicated blog has nearly 200 sexy stories about <laughs> the rock hard vessel filled with semen <laughs> ramming itself into the flowing canal walls for days on end before delivering its huge payload. <laughs> Fuck you, Kevin. <laughs> the styles range from softcore romance to full-on BDSM. You know, something for everyone. <laughs> Some have called it like the Titanic, but sadder. <laughs> Unlike most self-indulgent fan fiction, many of these writers are fully aware of how base the whole thing is and are open about their self-loathing. Quote, this is the worst thing I have ever written, says one. Quote, I can't believe I did this, wrote another. Meantime, we're wondering where all the vaccine erotic fan fiction is. An opening line could be, quote, who knew one small prick could make me feel so good? Oh, dear. <laughs> God, are these writers also write for that fucking podcast? <laughs> so, panel, here's my question for you. Cargo ship erotica is the new fad. What is your favorite sexy Suez Canal story, Laura Bricker? What do you think? Well, first of all, the Suez Canal delayed my rowing machine getting here. That made me sad. But that wasn't really <laughs> erotic. But I I was a little bit mystified by this. So I went to read some of them. And so I'm going to read you a sample because I didn't really understand, okay. like, what is this? So here's one just to give you a sense of what it is. The Mediterranean Sea suddenly stops giving pleasure to Suez after Evan Given has left. Think of the possible reason Suez entered a flashback or of a hot episode that he had hoped he had not remembered. Suez has always believed he was not a pervert. And once again, he is terribly, extremely wrong. Shit, I was so lewd on that day. He lamented mentally. What the... <laughs> that's that's what I don't know. God. There was also like a Percy Jackson theme, but that one wasn't really erotic. Percy there Jackson. was like a Percy Jackson one on the, the like I went thief. through these yeah. and I read them, and that was the oh, most God. interesting one I could find. But maybe that's what those kids were reading on that trail in that park. <laughs> oh wow! God. So Toby, did you read some? I started and I just I totally didn't get it. And then I was like, well, what am I going to say now? And then I was thinking yeah. about like how long it was there and. I was going to try and do something about how Sting used to boast that he would have like these six hour like oh, yeah. tantric sex marathons with his yes. with his wife, but I couldn't figure out really how to how to like make it all work. So anyway, <laughs> yeah. that's my story. So Kevin Flynn, um, you have befuddled our co-hosts. What is your favorite sexy Suez Canal story? I like the one. It was entitled "A Gentle Sway of Your Salt Licked Banks." <laughs> no. <laughs> Were there any uh, other a, yeah, stuck in you for days. Oh, <laughs> so I, so uh, I wrote one myself. Yeah, Kevin stuck, does like the Lionel Richie. Yeah. That's like Kevin's theme yeah. song. I wrote one. It was called "I Shipwrecked That Book." Oh, oh God! Jesus. All right, we have to end it on that note. Before we do, Laura sorry, Brinker. Brendan. <laughs> Compose yourself, <laughs> Lara Bricker. He's eight, you motherfucker. It might be do, nine. Do we? You don't even know. Do we have a cat of the week this week, Lara Bricker? We have something kind of unique this week. So I have a Crime Writers On listener shout out for cat of the week this week. Mm -hmm. Cheryl Kata from North Carolina 
from the Enchanted Acres. I don't know if that's what she calls her house. It sounds like a funeral home. No, Cheryl's <laughs> like a vet tech. So I have to tell you, hold on, I'm going to read you the message I got. So Cheryl sent me a package, but she didn't want to be a stalker. So she sent it to the Exeter Fire Department. Where your husband does not work. Where my husband doesn't work anymore. Care of Fireman Ken. So I got a message this week from the admin at the fire department. Hey, Laura, you have a package at EFD. Sent care of firefighter Ken on my desk, Susan. I said, oh, I think it's a podcast fan. It is from Clayton, North Carolina. Katie, maybe? It's not legible. It's a small package. I said, I think it might be something for my cats. And she says, do they get a lot of mail? It's squishy. So I... Trekked on down to the fire department, and I was like, hey, where your husband does not work, he works for a different fire department. He works in Amesbury now, and I got my package, and then because they were also curious, I opened it up, and there was three of the largest catnip mice I have ever seen that clearly were made by somebody by hand, and a lovely note that Cheryl sent me, and it says, Laura, please find three catnip mice for your wonderful kitties. I love listening to all your cat stories. Sincerely, Cheryl Catta. And she has like a perfect name, Cheryl Catta. So uh, Cheryl is our cat of the week this week. Cheryl from North Carolina. Because my cats were super happy. So um, yeah, it was, but it was hysterical. They're like, what is this package? And I was like, and uh, this, I'm dealing with a demographic there who was like podcast. What's that? Yes. And I was so like, for the first time ever, our cat of the week it's is a, a person. person. Yeah. All right. Cheryl, my yeah. cats love it. I have to tell you, even my skitty kitty Zelda, she has a little routine at night now. Zelda was like running around with her little cat and mouse the other day. It was very cute. So thank she you. was high. She was. She was like super high and she, she was actually high. was like friendly and everything. So thank you, Cheryl. All right. Well, Laura Bricker, if folks want to tweet to you to find out where they should actually send their (laughs) stalker packages of catnip toys, how can they find you on Twitter? Uh, They can find me at Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, if folks want to reach out to you instead of me to tell you you shouldn't be so mean on this podcast, a comment that I get all the time, aside from hearing about my shitty laugh, how can they find you on Twitter? At Rebecca Lavoie. <laughs> it's Reb, oh, Reb Lavoie. Jesus Christ. It's at Toby Ball NH. So if Kevin Flynn, if folks want to reach out to you, how can they find you on Twitter? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And, if you and I'm f- going to pay for those comments about One Tree. And if you want to follow, by the way, they are never hiring either one of okay, us. Okay, that's fine. You know the story consulting gig I just got? Never Not going to be with One Tree. Yeah. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Toby Ball NH. Uh, you can also, just kidding, it's at Reb Lavoie. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And please, I really do encourage you to join our incredible community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. You can find it just by searching Crime Writers On on Facebook. You go to our page and you just say, click the group button. It's right there. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media and you will get the Crime Writers On after show. Married with podcast, Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast, and Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the very handsome and studious and wonderful and independent and my favorite person in the world, Olivia Burdett. The executive hey. producer of this show is Kevin P. Flynn, my second favorite person in the world. This show was recorded in the Oak Loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where we take Laura and Toby's photos out of their passports and replace them 
with ours. <laughs> On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. So can I show you something funny? Yeah. You know how you like have one dog that's your favorite and one dog that's not? Yeah. Who's your favorite? Stuart. Why is he your favorite? Because he's like a cranky old man? Yeah. So you know how you hate vegetables? Mm-hmm. You know how I put um, some raw green beans in the dog's bowls tonight? Yeah. So I just want to show you this picture of Stuart and what happened, how he disposed of oh, his he green beans. took the green what beans. What are you looking at? Eddie, I see a couple of stray green beans <laughs> on the floor next to the bowl <laughs> that were selectively removed. He picked them out and put them on the side. That's what I would exactly do. Exactly like his dad. You just can't. Can't you just eat around them like I do? <laughs> Push the lettuce to the corner of the plate. (laughs) Listen, I know this uh, giant thing of roast chicken only had one carrot with it, but (laughs) not going to eat the carrot. That's why you have scurvy, my friend. Yes. Chapter 1. Wayfair welcomes you to the Waberhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the Waberhood, she said, where Wayfair helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trinsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, Hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home.